We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. This episode is brought to you by On Tuckett. How are we doing, Jack? Wins are wonderful, Nick. Wins are wonderful. Losses are not. But the Nets got a win tonight, so we're happy about that. And before we get started, as always, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, Google Play, and Spotify. But Jack, 101-91 over the Hornets at home. Nothing too crazy, but it's a win. It's a win, Nick. I, I felt relatively comfortable and throughout watching the entire game when I did a mini recap at halftime, I wasn't necessarily expecting Shard to make any massive runs. I don't think they have the, the requisite talent to do so. I mean, Malik Monk's an exciting young player, as is Miles Bridges and Devontae Graham, but you know, being led by a guy like Devontae Graham, um, by Terry Rozier, doesn't necessarily inspire much confidence for Hornets fans. But, I mean, the Nets have a better team, even with all the injuries that they have. They took care of business. It's a business-like win. Yeah, it was a business-like win, and obviously Spencer Dinwiddie was substantially the best player in this game, and you could feel that in the game. Also, Jared Allen took advantage of the Hornets not being good and not playing defense. I mean, you ask him, he might have had an easier day in the game today than he usually does in practice. Yeah, 22 points, 17 rebounds, two steals, a block. I'm sure DeAndre would put up more of a fight than Cody Zeller and Bismarck Biombo. They were having a field down the interior, and whenever Spencer Dinwiddie was out there dishing out dimes, you know, penetrating, making it easier for him, was this Jared Allen's best game of his career, Nick? It's tough to say because the Hornets were bad. Like, a lot of those shots were just super easy. I mean, he took advantage of it. Statistically, it's one of his best games. But was I like, wow, Jared Allen played amazing? Not really. I don't think he played bad. I think he played good. But I think it was more so the Hornets. Like, some of the – there was one possession, I want to say, in the fourth quarter where Jared Allen just, like, caught the rebound. No one was in, like, two feet of him, and he just laid it back in with ease. 
Yeah, I think that the the Hornets certainly did make it easy for for the young fro. I think that we've seen Allen step up uh, when there's been a, a bit tougher of competition. I think that that's where I generally judge players when the, the games matter a bit more, when the, the competition is a bit more fierce. But, you know, Jared Allen did what he did, and there were some good hustle plays from him. You know, he showed some aggression. You know, he got to the free throw line and actually made a few of them, which was positive. You know, it's not to say that... You know, And the Hornets, I think, at times... I can't blame a guy like James Borrego throwing like the zone out there as well. I think the Nets struggled to score on that uh, sometimes, especially when our second unit was out there. But uh, I think overall, it was a decent enough performance. And I guess we can dive deep into the players in the first half and the second half, Nick. Yeah, and just real quick on the quarters too. This was like the first game it feels like in a long time where the Nets just didn't get destroyed. You know, the first quarter was a tie. Second quarter, they won by five. Third quarter, they won by four. And fourth quarter, they won by one. Now, in the fourth quarter, their offense kind of stag got stagnant, like you mentioned, especially when they played that zone. But they played good enough defense that the Hornets only scored 18 points, which hasn't been the case when their offense stagnates in the past. Yeah, I think it makes it easier going up against a Charlotte Hornets team yep. than you know, Indiana Pacers and DeMontis Sabonis, and, and they've got some talented offensive players. And the Denver Nuggets and Utah Jazz, you know, the Charlotte Hornets are a couple of rungs below them. And I believe the power rankings will certainly show that on OGDBasketball.com very soon. But yeah, I think the Nets played just well enough, Nick. They... They certainly didn't make it look that classy and easy and slick. There were some some nice um, sets at times, um, but overall it wasn't the best performance. You know, we're not going to be seeing many highlights from it other than maybe, you know, a couple of Katie and Kyrie reactions and dances, which was kind of cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Katie was shooting threes before the game. That gets you excited. And talking about threes, you know, before we get to the players, just another thing. If they were able to knock down an average amount of wide open threes, this probably was a blowout. Are you worried about the net shooting at all, Nick? They've certainly struggled of like 10 of 39 tonight, 25.6%. You know, only Torian Prince was the semi-average uh, from the area. Joe seemed incredibly relieved when he hit that one late, which to me shows that he knows that they're supposed to be going in. He's more frustrated. It, it's almost reminded me of a guy like JJ Redick because he has such high standards of himself. I kind of like seeing that from Joe. And, and again, two of six is below average because his standards are around 43 44%, and he has been in a slump for himself. But overall, as a team, were you, are you worried about the, the perimeter shooting? I'm a little worried about it. I mean, obviously, you lose one of your best three-point shooters in Kyrie with the injury, but I'm worried about Moose's three-point shot. I'm worried about Temple's three-point shot, and I never really had any confidence in Shumpert's three-point shot. So those three guys are going to get a lot of open threes. Can they knock them down? You know, Garrett Temple is one of six. Musa was 0-4, and a lot of those attempts were just completely wide open, and a few of them from the corner, and that's concerning. It is a little bit. I think Temple's going to have his up-and-down moments, but I think mechanically I'm more comfortable in him than with with Musa. I think Musa, it seems like his three-point shot is different no, uh, at different points, whereas at mm -hmm. least Temple's is consistent. Like You can see in terms of the mechanics in his arms, you can see Musa pushing it sometimes, and I'm like, that's going to be long, or he's short-arming it, and that's going to be short. There's a, a lack of consistency in his three-point shot, a lack of fluidity. And I think that that's just because, you know, he hasn't had game time reps consistently. And, you know, he'll be getting the coaching, you know, behind the scenes, no doubt. I'm, I'm a little bit worried too, Nick, because it's such an important part of our offense. But it, tonight we were able to win in a different way by, you know, getting on the interior. Uh, I think the shots will eventually fall. And for me, it's more important than we see our guys, Toy and Prince and Joe Harris hitting them. And for me, they'll be hitting them fine. Uh, it's the open looks from the role players that are going to matter a little bit when the second unit is out there. 
But I think as long as you keep a Torian Prince or a Joe Harris out there with the second unit, for the most part, uh, it should be somewhat positive. I know that there were not uh, times tonight where Joe Harris was out there with the second unit, but they didn't have a really good ball handle. Like Theo Pinson was running it. I think Spencer Dinwiddie, the fact that he played you know, 37 minutes tonight, I thought was a good decision from Coach Kenny. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was an amazing game from Spence. Like, it wasn't, you know, eye-popping. The stats weren't amazing. But he really controlled the game and kept the Nets maintained and balanced. And obviously, when the drop-off is Theo Pinson, no disrespect to him, you're going to feel it, and the Nets did. But I love the 20 points, the 8 assists. And he just he even played some solid defensive possessions, too. I really like the way Spencer's played with Kyrie's men out and even the first few games before Kyrie was out. Yeah, this guy just knows when to step up when the, the moment calls for it. We, we've seen it from him year upon year now from Spencer Dinwiddie. And, and tonight's performance, I think, will go under the radar because, you know, Jared Allen had such a big performance and we were able to penetrate so well. But Spencer was incredibly controlled tonight and he was able to get everything he wanted for the most part. When he was on a switch, you know, he got to the room at will or he, he uh, dropped it off down low for one of the bigs. Uh, he hit, you know, his three ball certainly wasn't falling that much. He only got to the free throw line four times. But it just seemed to me, like you said, Nick, both sides of the floor, Spencer stepping up. And I think a lot of guys, especially the second unit guys, Musa, number one, can learn to watch Spencer doing how he fights through the screens to get back on defense. Because a lot of the time, Musa goes, slips under the screen. And that's a cardinal sin in, in today's NBA. Yeah, I saw Temple do it a few times, too, especially on a guy like Graham, who you know just wants to shoot threes. Just that overall, like, I just really wasn't impressed from Temple or Musa. And, like, Shumper had good energy minutes, but his offensive game obviously is not good. But, like, Musa and Temple have me a little concerned for the season because there's going to be other injuries, and these guys are going to have to play bigger minutes. And, like, right now, neither of them are probably having positive contributions overall. Yeah, I think the depth, I put it out there on Twitter that I was worried about. I know that analyzing before the season when you're comparing the rosters overall compared to last season's one, uh, I certainly overestimated it. And, and I'm happy to say that. I'm happy to say when I'm wrong. You know, guys like Damari Carroll, Jared Dudley, Ronda Hollis-Jefferson, these guys are contributing for different organizations now. We could certainly use a Ronda in our front court at this stage in time, especially the way he's playing for the Toronto Raptors. And even if Damari Carroll is just a backup wing. But yeah, I think it's a, it's a feeling out process now because it is a completely new roster. And we are still, you know, in the very early stages of the season, only 14, 15 games in. So the Nets are certainly making some waves. And, you know, to not see, you know, Nick Claxton tonight, interesting. To not see Rodion's course doesn't surprise me. And Nawab obviously has been relegated out of the rotation as well. Uh, I think Coach Kenny is still trying to find that ideal lineup um, and the ideal second unit because it was probably our, one of our strengths last season. I, I remember speaking about on JBT with um, the other Nick that we had the second best uh, bench uh, in comparison to the Los Angeles Clippers who were number one. So it's certainly a weakness of ours this season, uh, which is something we're not used to. Yeah, and we said this a lot last year. We said this over the summer. The drop-off between the starting lineup and the bench last season was not big. Some nights the bench would outplay the starters. This season, you know, you could substantially tell the difference between the starter and the bench unit. And I think one reason you mentioned the depth not being as good, and this goes to Rodion's not being able to contribute at all. You know, going to the season, you expect him to be an average to maybe slightly above average player, and now you're getting no minutes and no impact, and that really hurts the team. It certainly does, uh, and I think it certainly hurts as well, having the two best players, the two focal points yep. of your offense injured. If you take, you know, what have, what's happening in Golden State right now? Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson, D'Angelo Russell, obviously it's an extreme version of that, but they are struggling mightily. The Nets have some okay guys, but to me right now, Jalen Musa, Theo Pinson, now aren't NBA-ready players just yet. 
you know, Pinson's shown some moments throughout his career, but he still looks like, you know, he, he doesn't fully feel comfortable or he, he doesn't have the, the, the right talent just yet. Musa, you know, can be a bit irrational at times, uh, lacks the control. Uh, and, and I think Aman Shumpert uh, occasionally sort of forces it up a little bit, trying to, like he's trying to prove something or, or show off a little bit to, to the coaches and his teammates. But, you know, I do like the energy that Aman Shumpert does bring, especially defensively. But I think we're just struggling because we lack a, a capable backup ball handler. And most teams generally do. You know, I'm not necessarily advocating for point Joe, but we saw it against Chicago, how, how good he was with the ball in his hands. And I think Garrett Temple, uh, this was a bad game from him. I don't think we'll necessarily see him repeat it twice. I think he's good enough as a vet to, to put that one behind him. But, you know, it's almost like Joe Harris, to me, might be our, our, our third best playmaker on this roster with Kyrie and uh, Karras out. Yeah, I mean, obviously you want to try to get Joe more touches. I don't think Joe feels super confident handling the ball and playmaking. I think you almost need to put him in an action where he's kind of already has some momentum. That's where he looks more confident. And touching on Musa, like you said, I don't think he's ready for the NBA. He's just physically not ready. Like, he's just not strong enough. You constantly see him kind of get muscled out of the paint when he has good position. And Garrett Temple is an okay NBA player, maybe below average, but the role the Nets are asking him to play is just too much for his talent level. And like pretty much continuing the same thing with Shumpert, the offense, he doesn't need to contribute that way. He needs to contribute with the energy and defense, which has been good. The offense, he just needs to stop rushing shots. If you have a wide open shot, take it, but you don't need to try to do an ISO possession or there's one shot in the fourth quarter where he pulled up from three. Like that's yeah. just not necessary, especially no. when you're, you have the lead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think Garrett Temple, I think you made a good point, Nick. He's not a starter but at this stage of his career. And he's being forced to basically because of the talent that we, we lack on the roster right now. And, you know, we could use a guy like a Shabazz Napier in that sort of role. Yep. He'd be perfect. Uh, but at the end of the day, the Nets have what they have. They have to make do. You know, they've got to bank some wins and, and hopefully Kyrie's back sooner rather than later. But... The holidays are almost here, and you know what that means, gifts. And what better gift to give a guy in your life than a stylish shirt that fits just right? Unlike most brands, Untucket shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked. Untucket shirts always fall after just the right length, no matter his size, so he looks casual and sharp. Being six foot three myself, finding shirts that actually fit is pretty tough, but Untucket makes it easy with over 50 plus combination of shirts that look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages, not to mention a great selection of different materials and styles. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck is the way to go. Visit Untuckit.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's Untuckit.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off checkout. Yeah, it's weird to me. I mean, we talk about the plus minus because we do a game-by-game -game recap show. Joe Harris, despite, you know, shooting poorly from the field, 3 of 12, was plus 21. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this a lot. Even when Joe's not really scoring, he's providing something from the offense with his movement and his gravity that he's, you know, such a great three-point shooter. Even if he misses the first four, they're still, you know, pushing him off that line. And, I mean, I'm never really going to have many complaints about Joe unless he has a high turnover game. When he misses shots, he misses shots. Everyone's going to do that. Hopefully he gets out of this slump soon because the last few games, his three-point shot just hasn't been quite on point. Yeah, I think that towards the end of the game, we started to see it. And for me, it's not necessarily, you know, a mechanical issue, like he's changing things. It's just like, you know, shooters and, and you know, you have your ups and downs throughout the NBA season. And, you know, obviously he did hit a couple tonight. You, you expect that to give him a little bit of momentum. But I said, you know, I, I want to see super early on, but whether it's the first play of each quarter or early on in, in whatever quarter it might be, especially the first, 
I want to see a set run for Joe Harris. You know, and, and I think we saw a lot of it last season, and we've spoken about it before. You know, there was a game I can't remember which performance it was where he shot five threes and he got he lifted the Nets' offense. You know, if we can, if Coach Kenny can run some sets for him because you know Torian Prince in that first quarter was certainly leading the offense a little bit, but he can get a a bit ball. Ball hoggy of sorts. He, he obviously he did have four assists tonight, but sometimes you know the ball sticks when he has it in his hands, and you think he gets always... like nervous with the ball. Yeah, and he just wants to jack up a shot a lot of the time. And for me, sometimes it, it, it works because he's such a great three point shooter. But I don't want his his game and his craft, you know, on on drives isn't as as capable as some other facets of his game. But uh, I think we should you know give a, uh, some credit to DeAndre Jordan as well tonight, Nick. Despite the fact that, you know, he has his frustrating moments and those frustrating moments tend to occur at pretty important times. You know, the, the Spencer Dimwitty and, and the other guys made him look really good. And, you know, had a nice little pirouette move. His offense was really good tonight. Yeah, this is probably his best offensive game as a net. He was kind of dominant down low. His defense was still questionable. But in the second half, I felt like he actually moved out of the paint. I want to say there was a play where Zeller was in and yeah. he actually didn't, you know, station himself in the paint. Zeller still made the three, but it was farther out than we've seen him come in the past. And then he switched on the gram. I felt like he did a couple decent jobs out there. So DeAndre had, a, I thought, a good second half, some good moments in the first half. But overall, there's still those, like, lack of hustle and just awareness plays that just really frustrate you to probably the highest extent from a guy who's, you know, an NBA vet and had a lot of success in the league. Yeah, it's obviously, we compare to uh, past iterations of the Nets, but when you have a guy like Ed Davis who probably has less talent in terms of just physical gifts yep. than a guy like DeAndre Jordan, but he makes up for it in space with the energy that he brings and the hustle that he brings, I would rather have that. If you put the hustle of Ed Davis into a DeAndre Jordan, then he would be one of the best backup bigs in the league right now. But he He'd just, still be starting. He probably would be. Yeah, it's a fair point. But he just seems to me, I don't maybe lazy is too too harsh of a term. But sometimes he gets lazy. Sometimes he gets disengaged. And you know he's got his money now, so he doesn't necessarily have to perform and prove anything. Um, he's playing comfortable basketball sometimes too much and you know he needs to be a little more aggressive and you know when he's throwing down dunks and when he's pushing Kelly Oubre down when he's doing push-ups I want to see that more consistently from him because we know Jared Allen isn't going to show that aggression because it's not in his way but DeAndre Jordan has a mean streak in him I, I want to see him you know get a tackle or two and throw his body around a little bit you know I think that if we see more aggression from him I would rather see an overly aggressive DeAndre Jordan than a guy who's just standing under the rim getting boxed out by Terry Rozier and, play, and other players like that. Yeah, you just a ball watching is terrible. And I think disengage is a perfect word because it felt like after he got his offensive touches, he started to pick it up defensively. Is that something the Nets need to do is try to get him more involved with some early oops or easy dunks and then maybe he'll play better defense? We'll see what happens. But obviously he still needs to play at a better level more consistently as a guy the Nets are going to count on. And I just want to get back to Torian Prince. I felt like this was a game had a lot of highs and lows for him. Like you mentioned, there were some ball hog type moments, but there also was a couple nice decisions and some nice passes that we probably haven't really seen much of the season. Yeah, I thought in terms of the first quarter, I'm like, is he? I literally had in my notes, one of my first notes, does Prince pass? <laughs> and by the end of the game, you know, four assists and there were some good drives. And because he draws a lot of gravity as being such a, a quality three-point shooter, I thought the, the synergy of some sets in the offense and even some broken plays was quite good. You know, he showed some good energy. And I think he... 
He still has moments defensively where it's frustrating, but overall, I think he has improved to at least an average, if not slightly above average defender. And we've seen the stats early on in the season. You know, he's one of the best um, isolation defenders. I don't buy that, but I do think he has improved markedly on that end of the floor because Coach Kenny has challenged him and because he has to play such a large role. He is our lead wing right now with Kevin Durant out and obviously Wilson Chandler as well. So I think he has made strides, but I think that this is far from the finished product of Torian Prince, which is a good and a bad thing. Yeah, and I mean, I love the fact that he took a charge in the fourth quarter. That's like something yeah. that makes me automatically love you as a player, especially defensively. Like, it's just a lot of highs and lows. And, you know, if you watch certain parts of the first half, you'd be like, oh, this is a terrible game for Prince again. But then other plays, you're like, oh, okay, this is actually pretty nice. He had a couple nice Euro steps in this game. And he also seemed a little bit more decisive in terms of, like, not, you know, just sitting at the three-point line and hesitating and just going straight for the drive and then maybe doing the drop-off or getting in position instead of just, like, putting himself in a bad position, which, like, it felt like he did a lot against the Pacers. Yeah, if we're looking at his box score stats, 20 points, eight rebounds, four assists, and a steal. I think he's obviously one minor facet. It doesn't necessarily the be-all and end-all for a guy of his position, but he's rebounded the ball really well this year. Yeah. He has, and he's got up and got some rebounds. Like, he's not just letting them drop in his hands. Like, he's going up to get them, and I think you like that. And then, obviously, the 4-9 from 3. You know, he missed his first couple, and then he knocked down some more. I think anytime you have, you know, Joe Harris and Torian Prince, as long as one of those guys is having a good three-point night, I think you feel better about the offense. Yeah, I mean, combined 6-15, to 15, it's average. Well, it's, you know, maybe a little bit above that from, you know, your two three-point marksmen, but it certainly makes the offense uh, hum a lot more, and, uh, again, the, the ball movement, you know, I think our assist numbers reflected that as well. We looked pretty good with the, um, you know, obviously only 19 assists. You know, the first half, I think we were at about 14. So the ball yep. certainly stuck a little bit because I think there were more second unit minutes. And especially in that final quarter where, you know, we could barely score a bucket. I think it was, you know, six minutes in before, you know, Spencer did when he even got our points when he got the got to the free throw line. But uh, was there anything else in this game, Nick, that you wanted to touch on? Because I did want to touch on Kyrie Irving a little bit before we uh, ended this one. I just wanted to talk about Nick Claxton getting no minutes. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, our boy Will Jackson was there. He, he probably would have been frustrated at it. And, you know, I was lucky enough to see him. No, I didn't see him play, actually, but I did see him warm up. Um, it's interesting. I mean, tonight, if you're looking at the lineups, you know, he would have taken minutes, you know, probably from a, a Shumpert and a Pinson. I, I don't miss. I think that he would have been an, a nice enough matchup on a PJ Washington. You know, I think that, you know, he has... You know, he has size about him, like a Washington does. He has athleticism. It doesn't, for me, I'm not necessarily upset about it. I don't think he would have changed the result that drastically. Um, I, I think this is what we're going to see from him going forward. He's going to get games here and there, and there are going to be moments where we're going to need to step up. But at the end of the day, a, a nine-man rotation, you know, sometimes when you see a 10, it go a little bit deeper with Coach Kenny. Uh, I would have liked to see him play just because he excites me in, in what he brings in terms of energy and that sort of intangible element. But overall, if we win and, I mean, the fact that our bench was so poor, I mean, I'm sort of talking myself in and out of it at the same time. <laughs> I don't stand one way or another. I guess that's how I would surmise it, Nick. Yeah, I think they needed to win and he didn't feel comfortable giving him minutes in certain positions. I think you'd probably still try to get him minutes in the second quarter or late first quarter. If you don't want to play in the second half, that's fine. Because I think Claxon's a guy you hope he can continue to develop to provide you some type of offensive threat for that second unit. And then obviously we already know he has some nice potential defensively in as a rebounder. So like you want to make sure you're getting him minutes because he's the type of guy that could make a boost to your roster as the season progresses because he's so young and talented. Obviously there's no guarantee that's going to happen, 
but you've seen success with that in the past with Rodion's really stepping up last year, Jared Allen, you know, before that. So I think Kenny needs to try to make an effort to get him some minutes to see if maybe he can be a spark for this team down the line or even possibly in the playoffs. Like I think Claxton just has a skill set on this team that they don't have in any other position. Yeah, it's a fair call. You know, even at the four, uh, we've seen him play alongside the bigs before in, in, in other games this season. So uh, I certainly wouldn't hate it. And The, the only boy thing is, I'll say... Oh, go ahead, Jack. Sorry. I was just going to say, the boy is pretty. Yeah, <laughs> he's got a little swag to him. Uh, I think maybe, like you mentioned, the one reason not playing him, Charlotte is very three-point happy. Maybe they didn't feel as confident with him out there on the perimeter. He's looked great, but obviously you don't want to put that task on him for an entire game. Yeah, that's a fair point. But you want to talk Kyrie? So how worried are you about this shoulder impingement, quote-unquote? Uh, I mean, it's pretty much shoulder tendonitis from what I understand. So it's it's slightly concerning because that's an injury that's going to linger pretty much all season, I would assume. But the Nets are trying to take care of it early, so you know maybe he'll not have the rest later on in the season. I'm not super concerned, and then, you know they're going to play it safe with Kyrie. These are some bad teams. They're thinking maybe they could steal some wins. I'm feeling okay about it. If he misses, you know, another week, okay, I'll be concerned. Yeah, we know that Kyrie isn't necessarily the healthy player. I think Bobby Marks put out that he hasn't played 80 games across his career. You know, you can't help the the injuries that are thrust upon you, and the human body is a weird and wonderful thing. But, you know, he rarely has shoulder issues. So hopefully, you know, tendonitis, obviously, in any form, be it knee, shoulder, elbow, whatever, is going to affect you. And, and especially for a guy as high-quality a shooter as he is, you know, I, I am mildly worried about it because I'm always slightly more pessimistic than you are. And I'm mildly worried about it because the Nets offense looks putrid at times without him out there. And it's just like, man, if we had Kyrie out there, we just have at least get a bucket uh, just, you know, every now and then. And, you know, he just brings so much to the team. But, you know, we want to get him healthy. And, you know, the Nets are going to take the long-term view. And I need to, to think a little bit more holistically about it as well. You know, if we healthy at the if he's healthy at the latter points of the season, and you know we're peaking at that sort of time, that's positive. You know, Carol Severt is now um, out of the cast as well, so at least the guys are on the mend. But Coach Kenny did say he doesn't expect him to practice anytime soon, so I think it's a rest and recuperation sort of thing. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting because we don't know the timetable on it. When it's a day to day thing, you know, we heard day to day, you know, had that many times as Brooklyn Nets fans since we started this buzz. Alan Crabb had a million day-to-days. <laughs> Jeremy Lin had a million day-to-days. Uh, it's frustrating, but as long as he's healthy when it matters and he comes back fully fit and he's not pushing himself and, you know, that three-point shot looks good, then I guess I'll be happy. Yeah, I feel like they probably shouldn't have played him in that Denver game. Yeah. That uh, when that was when the injury was first mentioned. He took a decent amount of shots in that game. That's just putting more wear and tear on the shoulder. And I think maybe some of it is just like a big workload. Like he's been putting up a lot of shots for the Nets early on in the season. So like you mentioned, hopefully everything is okay. He gets back healthy. I'd like to see him hopefully this weekend against the Knicks. That'd be nice. But if not, you know, next week. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if he's back for his game against his former team, whether it's at yeah. home or away because that is obviously a nationally televised game and you know a lot of people are going to be clamoring for that one but at the end of the day as long as Kyrie is fit that's all that matters I don't care what game he plays is when he is back we see the Kyrie we saw against Minnesota we saw the Kyrie I guess we saw at the early points of the season and you know he just brings so much to this team even though the passing and the number of passes per game certainly increased with him out there but at the end of the day you need a top 10 top 15 player on your team out there as much as possible because it just makes sense. Yeah, and like to defend him in a sense with the ball moving, you know, less when he's out there, 
we kind of had a better idea of some of the offensive talent in this team. It's not amazing. Obviously, the starters are still good in terms of Joe Harris, Torian Prince, and then when Levertin is healthy and then I didn't win, he's off the bench. But I think Kyrie, even if he were to come back and not be 100%, obviously, they're going to wait as long as possible. But I think just having another playmaker, just being an upgrade from Theo Pinson, who, like you mentioned earlier, just I don't think it's ready for the NBA, especially in a big minute role. Yeah, the Nets need one more guy. Yeah, if we had one, if we if Wilson Chandler was healthy, even just as just a another you know capable NBA player, maybe Nick Claxton, like we spoke about, becomes that. But you know, for right now, it's a win. We move on to the next one, and hopefully, the next time we are recording a buzz, we're, we're recapping another one of them. One hundred percent. As always, Jack, a pleasure talking Nets with you. Big thanks everybody for listening. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and you also can find us on otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and bluewirepods.com. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough, and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.